In previous uh, broadcasts, we have discussed the drivers on the effects of the psyche of the black country people, and one of the most important was the effects of religion. One of the biggest religions in the area was nonconformism. Uh, Dr. Janet Sullivan is an honorary research fellow at the University of Birmingham and is actually picture editor for Westmoreland's history as well. She's made a special study of this. Janet, can you start off by telling me what is nonconformity? Nonconformity is a group of people who do not subscribe to the tenets of now the Anglican faith before it was the Catholic faith. So you've got Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, all the different groups which do not actually follow the religion, which is the law of the land. Okay. In 1843, I've got a quote here from the Vicar of Albury, when he was answering questions to the Midlands Mining Committee, he said that 19 out of every 20 people in the town were non-conformists. Now, was this a, a 19th century phenomenon, or did it have earlier roots? This had earlier roots as far as the black country is concerned. If you have a look at some of the very early records, there were non-conformist groups moving into the area and they met in quite large numbers. There was a meeting, for instance, in the chapel of Albury where they estimated that 2,000 people had attended in order to hear a, a fifth monarchy man speak and that was a very extreme Puritan sect that was in England at the time. And obviously 2,000, that wouldn't have been an exact number, but it does indicate that in a very small, insignificant village, huge numbers of people were coming across the black country to hear somebody speak. So a real openness from the beginning. And again, from the mid-17th century, you've got Baptist churches coming into Netherton, Gornal, Bromsgrove, right the way across the area. Non-conformist churches were actually being set up. So let's look at the peak of industrialisation, as it were, say the 19th century. How widespread was nonconformity across the entire black country? It was very widespread. And the nonconformists were the people really who were attracting membership. The Anglican church, apart from the towns such as West Bromwich and Dudley, where they had an elite, the peers of the realm who were actually linked to the Anglican church... The other towns really had a, a lot of nonconformist churches coming into being at the time. One of the reasons for this was the fact that the Anglican churches were very slow to be able to respond to any problems that were happening. They got this huge influx of people. They were obviously looking at their spiritual well-being, but they were also looking at what they could do for the people because they were Christians and part of being a Christian meant that you helped your fellow man. This was very slow for Anglicans. They had to get permission from authorities to be able to do anything. The nonconformist churches did not have that. They had a locally organised group of men who could respond quickly. Their elders could decide, we need help in this situation. And they were able to reach people and they, they gained a membership from people. What were the attractions then? What part did nonconformity play in the lives of the people? A lot of these people, if you think about it, had come from many different groups. They would have come from other black country towns. They would have come from Shropshire, from Worcestershire. The thing they'd all got in common was that they'd left their community, they'd left their home, and they were in a strange place. And the nonconformist churches that were set up were usually in the places where the poorer people were. And they provided a centre for them, a place for them to come 
a place which they were used to. They were used to going to church in their villages in the countryside. They were used to the fact that everything took place at the church. And so the church really became the heart of the community in many of these little towns as well. So there were practical attractions in addition to the spiritual health of the people in nonconformity. Yes, the churches became a base really for community events. Whenever there was a problem in the town, the people would gather in the churches. I mean, it's been noted across the black country, for example, that when there was a cholera outbreak, the churches were suddenly full. People were worried and that's where they headed for. Often they left after the cholera outbreak had gone past, but it just shows that they thought this was a centre that they could go to for help. Now, all the while the black country was expanding at a pretty phenomenal rate, the systems, especially education, were finding difficulty in keeping up. What was the role of nonconformity in school education? The nonconformists actually started the education system in the majority of towns, I would say. They were able, as I've said before, to respond quickly, to make decisions, and when they saw these children running the streets with nothing to do, they decided this is where they would begin. They actually started with Sunday schools, and from that they went on to day schools, so that you have the majority of nonconformist churches had their own day school attached, and that would cater for you know up to about 400 children in some of the schools. They also were involved in evening classes, so for the children who had to work during the day, there were evening classes that they could go to. They taught mostly reading and writing, but also mathematics. And then as the century progressed, they began to build on that and to add other subjects, other topics that came in, drawing, geography, etc. And the Church of England also had their own schools, so it wasn't only nonconformist churches, and some of the industrialists had their own schools as well. For instance, Chances in Albury, they set up schools for their work people. So it wasn't only something that was with the churches, but it certainly was a need which they saw, again, which they responded to. How did the established churches, if we can call them that, uh, react, adapt or even accept nonconformity? As far as the black country were concerned, there wasn't such a division as there was, for example, in Birmingham. In Birmingham, they had street preachers going around and the one group were sort of against the other. That's what's portrayed. In the black country, not so much. There was so much to be done in the black country. There were so many needs of the people that both churches really worked alongside one another. There was a situation where... It was more the upper-class people that went to the Church of England and the poorer people tended to go to the nonconformist churches. What was the reason for that? Well, people have asked, you know, whether perhaps it was the fact that they needed a good suit of clothes to go to the Church of England. Really, it's difficult to tell. Certainly, the Church of England would have been very inclusive and very open and also trying to work amongst the people. But... They tended to go towards the Methodist Church and they seemed to feel that this was their church, a church where they could help to have the decisions. And I think that's probably the nucleus of it, really. They encouraged the working men to take part in the church so they could hold office in the church, the working men, which didn't normally happen in the Anglican church. It was the vicar and the curate, etc. There's lots of famous people associated with the various religions and uh... 
even people of a non-religious bent will uh, have heard of John Wesley and Methodism. Did he ever come to the black country? He did. The black country people gave him a very hard time when he first arrived. Why was that? He went up to Wensbury, and when he was preaching there, crowds would come out against him. It was said that they were really wound up by Anglicans coming both from Warsaw and from Wensbury, who weren't keen at all on seeing any nonconformity come in their area. And they were really saying to the people, you need to oppose this and oppose it. They certainly did. He had to sort of escape on his horse. So can you describe for me what we'd call the typical clientele of a, if that's the right word, of a nonconformist church? If you look at um, Wesleyan Methodist Church, for example, you've got the small industrialists that are there, perhaps people who don't have huge works, maybe employ up to 30 men, for example. These were right the way across the black country, and these were very much those in leadership. And then that would go right the way down. They had pews which were rented, and obviously it was only the better off people who could afford that, and they had another set of pews that were for ordinary people to go and sit in. So you actually had a division there amongst the working-class people. Now, if you look at the primitive Methodist churches, those were the ones that really attract the working-class people. They had less seat rents, more free place for them to go to. They often attracted so many children that they had to have Sunday school twice a day to cope with all the ones that were coming. And everybody was included. I looked at the minutes for the primitive Methodist church in Albury, and there they were asking everybody's opinion on anything. They were buying a new piano. Everybody was involved. The children were giving their pennies and they had a choice to go and look with everybody else at the pictures of the pianos and say which ones they wanted. Everybody was involved and you got a real feeling of this is our church and we are part of this. Whereas I think attending the Anglican churches, this is where we go on Sunday, we sit and we sing and we pray and then we go again. So these different factions, if I can call them that, that branched out under the same banner, was this down to differences in their fundamental tenets of what they believed in or was it because of the people they were trying to attract and help and assist and, 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 and show compassion for? No, it was what they believed in. They slightly differed in the way in which they viewed things. Baptists, for instance, they didn't believe in baptising children. Methodist Anglicans baptised children. Baptists baptised adults. So... There were slight differences in it, but they wanted people to know that we basically, we all believe the same thing, although we might have slightly different practices. Did they stand alone? Was indeed there any resentment to them from quarters or, or was there an ecumenical aspect to it all? There was definitely an ecumenical aspect to them. Within the churches themselves, there was very often a breakaway group. So you started off with one group of Methodists and you got about four different kinds of Methodists by the time you'd finished they sort of argued amongst themselves. But as far as getting on and doing things together for the people, they certainly joined together for that. I mean, if you look at some of the projects which they had to set up to help people, it wasn't only one church that did it. They all would join together. And in Albury, there was a very unusual situation in that they all decided that they needed to let people know that they all believed the same thing. They might worship in different ways, they might have slight differences, but they actually all believed in the same thing. They all believed in God, they all believed in Jesus Christ, they just wanted to let people know they were one. And so they decided that they would have a whole week where they would meet together 
Every day they organised a prayer meeting in the middle of the day and different people took it. So Church of England did it one day, the Methodists did it another, the Baptists did it another, Salvation Army another, etc. Another meeting in the evening and then on a Sunday they used the Methodist Church because it was the biggest. Everybody met in their own churches and they all marched together, the whole congregations, through the town to the one place where they had a great big meeting together just to prove and show to everybody we're all united and we're all together. This is all a long time ago, the 19th century now, so things must have changed. How does nonconformity express itself these days? Does it survive to any degree? It does survive, not in the same huge numbers, though. I mean, if you look at many of the black country towns, they had 12, 13, 14 little nonconformist churches in the centre of them at one period in the 19th century. Now you would probably be lucky to find one or two. The main nonconformist groups are all there, so you've got the traditional ones, the Baptists, Methodists. It's never really been a strong Quaker area. Methodist was the biggest one. But they've also been joined by a number of other groups. Salvation Army, of course, came in and they're still there. They do survive probably about 60 communities, I would estimate, across the black country. And they are all still active and the strange thing is that they're responding now in very much the same ways that they did then. In the 19th century, they responded to the need of the people. So if people were out of work, either because the weather was too cold and they couldn't go to work, or people were laid off in a certain industry, they got no means of surviving. It was the churches that very often responded to that. And so they would get meal tickets so that the people could go and buy food. They had blanket loans. They helped in whatever way they could. Now think of today. We've got the churches now, many of them, are supplying food banks. Food banks, yes. Setting it up. So it's almost exactly the same thing is happening again. They're responding to needs that they're finding in the community. A lot of them working with the young people. Many of them out of work. They're setting up clubs and things for them. But, of course, now we've got a diversity, so it's not only Christian groups that are there. So you've got Yemenis that are there and there are mosques. You've got Buddhists, Buddhist temples. And so I think it's expanded. It's always been important as far as the early black country life was concerned to have these in their midst. But there are other denominations, other types of religions are moving in with their buildings. I understand you have your own reasons for being interested or even passionate about uh, religion and that uh, some of your forebears were instrumental in bringing it to the area, is that right? Yes, my four times great-grandfather came from Sheffield in the late 1700s to actually start a steelworks in Albury, and he was a Methodist. He and his brother came, and they were one of the group of men who actually started the Methodist church in the town and continued to be Methodists right the way through their lives. My thanks to Dr Janice Sullivan and as always if you wish to obtain both current and back issues of our History West Midlands magazine, watch the accompanying presentations, subscribe to our audio resources or simply contact us. You can do it all by going through the History West Midlands website and following the relevant links. Join me next time for more fascinating insights into the black country. Until then, enjoy your history and thank you for listening.